Now Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sari said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sari, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sari said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sari ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sari, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sari, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bielaroi. It is still there between Kadash and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Val, and good evening, and, uh, and uh, I suppose welcome, I'm welcoming myself. I'm sorry I wasn't here this morning. Uh, I really hate being away. I've been away lots of days each of the last few weeks, and um, I- I'm amazed that I've survived in some ways, but, uh, but, but I'm glad that, because now on Christmas, I'm not going anywhere, so I'm sorry about that. Let's, uh, let's pray for God's help as we look at this uh, reading. Father God, as we are charting through the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it says lots to us about what it means to have faith in you. So please would you help us to learn about that for ourselves, how our faith in you should grow and be strong and secure and uh, be able to survive anything that comes through uh, to us in life. Please speak to us now by the Holy Spirit, and we pray in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. That discussion that you had about uh, being impatient, I mean, we're, we're always impatient, aren't we? There's something about our world uh, where we're used to everything coming quite quickly, aren't we? I was just discussing about trying to watch films 
you wanted to watch a film that had already come out and you wanted to, you used to, you used to have to go, and go, to, go to a shop, didn't you, and, and get it out and you, you, you might have had to rewind it before you could start watching it and, uh, and then um, you, you take it back and you get another one. That's all long gone, isn't it? I think those shops died about 10 years ago. Um, it, it, you, just, you just go online and start watching it straight away. And then you get impatient if it buffers. Uh, we're just used to having everything quite quickly, aren't we? And it is, well, that's a good thing, but it also challenges our sense of patience, isn't it? We, we don't practice patience very much anymore. Here in this passage, Abraham and Sarah are getting impatient because God has made them a great big promise. And sometimes the bigger the thing you're looking forward to, the more impatient you get. Sometimes. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe there's a big thing you're looking forward to later this year. The big thing we're looking forward to is perhaps October the 31st or not because who knows what will happen on that day. But we've been waiting for a long time for something to happen and who knows when it will happen and everyone's getting a bit impatient. But here, something even bigger has been promised to Abraham and Sarah. They've been promised that they are going to have so many children that there'll be as many as the stars in the sky. I, I don't know if it'll still be raining when you're on your way home. You might be able to see some stars. Maybe there'll be planets. Maybe you'll see the moon. I've no idea. But next time you get to see the stars in the sky, try and count them. And Abraham tries to count them, and he can't count them because he's, there's just so many. And that is a massive promise to Abraham and Sarah because they've got no children at this point. We find out later in the story they're in their 80s. So God has made this promise, even in their late old age, that they're going to have so many children and that the whole world will be blessed through them. And yet there's a problem. Verse 1, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. So you can see the situation here. They're getting impatient. When's this promise going to happen? We can't keep going forever, year after year after year expecting to have children i mean 86 i don't know if the way they counted years was different maybe she would be younger in today's way of counting who knows but that is an old age isn't it and some of you know this for yourselves i know there's people in our church who have waited for children and waited and waited and sometimes the painful thing is, is it is it doesn't quite happen miraculously it can happen of course as it will happen to them but they're impatient and they're waiting. And so what Sarai does here in the waiting and the impatience is she takes matters into her own hands. She's saying, look, God, you're not doing anything, so I'm going to make it happen. Let's see what happens when she does that. Because she decides to make God's promise happen, and it all goes horribly wrong. It is as messy as you can imagine it could be. And the first thing the writer of Genesis wants us to see in this chapter, I think, is that salvation by human efforts creates hurt. Salvation by human efforts creates hurt. Let's look at it again. Verse 1, they've got no children, but halfway through the verse, she, Sarai, had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. Verse 3, so after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, 10 years is a long time since this promise was made. What did he do? Uh, sorry, after living there 10 years... Uh, after living there 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took the, her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, you might say, oh, well, of course, perhaps God was uh, thinking, come on, Sarai and, and Abraham, Abraham, uh, use your initiative here. I, I've made you a promise. You don't, can't just sit down and, and wait for it to happen. You've got to do something. You've got to, take the, you've got to, you've got to make it happen. Uh, and, and we know in ancient culture 
that this kind of practice of maids having children for their mistresses was actually normal. But uh, nowhere has God commanded that to happen. Did you see that verse that says, God says to Sarah, Sarah, why don't you have children through Hagar? It's not there, is it? It's obviously not there. And in fact, think back to Genesis 2. From there, it was one husband, one wife. That is the way we're to read verses 2 and 3. In fact, they echo Genesis 3, don't they? If you notice how it, was, uh, how it reads, uh, a Sarai took, uh, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave it to her husband. There's an echo of Genesis 3 there. Do you remember Genesis 3? Eve takes the fruit, gives it to her husband. It's a deliberate echo, the way it's worded in the original, harking back to that, that, that fall where sin entered the world, where human beings took their own initiative thinking we know better than God and look what happens we've been dissatisfied isolated in trouble ever since and the whole story of the Bible is about how God puts that right but here in Genesis 16 they try and put it right themselves they try and make God's promise come about themselves in fact just even if you didn't know that verse 3 is just a bizarre bonkers verse isn't it notice how it's written again Sarai his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Wives, have you ever given your husband another wife? <laughs> Deborah's shaking her head, thinking that's a bad idea. It is a bad idea, isn't it? That's crazy, isn't it? Flip it around, husbands, giving your wife another husband. That's just crazy, isn't it? Think of all the presents that you might have got, those of you who are married. And if you hope to be married one day, what you would get for... Your, your future spouse, perhaps. And, uh, yeah, another one of you. Crazy, isn't it, the way it's worded? Well, let's uh, read on and see what happens, because this is not faith in action. It is lack of faith. It is lack of faith. It's a fall. It's trusting in ourselves. That's what she's doing, trusting in herself, not in the Lord. And that's a problem because God's promise is going to happen his way, God's way, not by human effort and scheming, God's way, and his way is best. But as we see, our way our initiative, our efforts, creates hurt. Let's see what happens. Verse 4, he, Abraham, slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Well, at that point, you kind of think, well, it's working. But no, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. That's crazy, isn't it? Abraham, it's your fault. I thought it was her idea, wasn't it? It's your fault, Abraham. What does Abraham respond? Verse 6. Your slave is in your hands. Abraham said, in other words, he puts his hands in his pockets, folds his arms. Do with her whatever you think best. I'm not, it's not my problem, is it? She's pregnant. Duh. You slept with her. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. This is a mess, isn't it? The hurt in this passage. See what's happened to this family. This family God has chosen to bring blessing to the whole world. They're in a mess. It's all over the place. Hagar gloats over Sarai. Sarai blames Abraham as if it wasn't her own idea. Abraham shrugs his shoulders, walks away. Some help he is. Sarai is mean to her maidservant. Hagar has to run away. That is the fallout from taking matters into your own hands, from not trusting God's promise, from breaking God's commands. Here it might be sex and marriage, as it's put on view here, but it leads to hurt upon hurt upon hurt. 
And that's what happens when we go for human efforts when it comes to being fulfilled and blessed by God. The New Testament understands this story as a lesson in avoiding salvation by human effort. Keep a finger in uh, Genesis 16, page 16. Flip with me to Galatians, page 1171. If you don't mind doing that, uh, if you don't have to. Perhaps I'll put it up on the screen. I think Matthew's trying to find it for us. But uh, page 1171. Always good to find out where these things in the Bible and the New Testament. I'm just going to read some verses from Galatians 4, verse 22 and 23. This is Paul reflecting on the story we were looking at in Genesis and what it might mean for us as Christians in the New Testament, living after Jesus. Because this is what Paul is saying. He's writing to Galatians saying, you're not saved by what you do, by human efforts. And he says this, verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and the other by the free woman, that's Sarah, as she becomes called. Two sons. We in Genesis 16, haven't got to that point, but he would have two sons. Verse 23, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. In other words, by human idea. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. You see the contrast between these two sons? First of all, the son who we'll get to is Ishmael versus the son who will later come to be born later known as Isaac. We'll get to that in a few weeks' time. The two sons represent two things. The first one is human efforts, taking the initiative, taking the things into your own hands, making God's promises happen. And the second son, Isaac, is saying, I'm going to wait for what God has promised, because what God has promised will come, and I can wait, and I can trust God to keep his promise. Back to Genesis 16, we see working by human effort, the flesh, contrasted by trusting God's promise. And all of religions, philosophies, and views of the world are trusting in ourselves, aren't they? All of the faiths out there say, you do it. You do this, and God will accept you. You do that, and you will have a better life. You do it. In other words, it's spelled D-O, do and only biblical faith, gospel faith, is D-O-N-E. It's done by God. By God's grace, his free gift, his promise. Only that saves, and in the same time, our efforts hurt. Imagine a master artist painting a, a beautiful landscape, one that would hang and be sold for hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. And he, paint, he or her, just to say he in this case, he painstakingly takes ages painting away each stroke getting the colors right and the strokes and the contrast and the texture just right to make it lifelike a vivid uh, image and that takes time it's painstaking you have to wait for it there's great attention to detail there but it comes out as a glorious masterpiece but then imagine perhaps instead fairly early on some complete novice perhaps i come along and says, this is taking too long. Let me help you out here, you master artist. It's taking a while. I'm going to help. And I, I start picking up my brush and doing my best and putting in a few strokes here and there and mixing up the colors and go for it and say, look, yeah, I'm going to make this sunset. And look, look at the ripples. And it's all, it's, 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 it's terrible. It's awful. And then I say, oh, no, it's not quite right. And I just sort of try and sort of wet my finger and try and smudge it out. And oh, no, and try a bit harder. And then I start poking away. And, and suddenly there's holes appearing in this canvas, and I've wrecked it, haven't I? I've wrecked the masterpiece, and I've destroyed it, and I've created hurt. Hurt for everyone who wanted to see this glorious painting, 
and yet it's destroyed. All because of me and my pride and lack of respect and love for the artist. Friends, let us not be doing that with God and his promise. His promise is perfect. He has promised us through Jesus Christ that we will be with Christ forever in a new creation. A world that will be perfect beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. More better than one that we would make for ourselves. Don't trust your own human efforts, whatever it might be. Trusting yourself will lead to pride, it will lead to arrogance, it will lead to superiority. It will cause hurt. You see that often, don't you? People try and make the world a better place, and actually they're making it better for themselves sometimes, but unfortunately it leads to hurt, because we're not God, we don't understand everything, we don't have the big picture, we only have a little picture of what happens in our lives. And we can try and use human reasoning, human thoughts and power to bring our church to grow, for example, but that can lead to hurt, can't it? It is only God's spirit that brings people to see Jesus Christ. It's only God who saves. We, of course, pray for that reason, and we wait for them. We don't manipulate them. We don't use our best techniques as though that is what will save people. No, it won't. Only God will save, even though there's wisdom in using thought-through uh, approaches. And we can't force people to see sense about church life either. And we can't force people to understand uh, other things. We can pray for them. We can be patient with them. We must wait for them and not rush people. God's work happens God's way. His promise to, to bless the whole world will happen as he wills it. And we need to wait and be patient sometimes. Salvation by human effort creates hurt. But given that the hurt happens, and it's massively dysfunctional situation here at the end of chapter at six, Hagar flees from this family that's fallen out. God still shows his grace to the hurting, as we'll see. God hears and sees the hurting. Let's look at verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the road to Shur. So the angel of the Lord, I guess that's a way of saying God's presence is manifested in the Old Testament. So the covenant God, the God who makes promises, the angel of the Lord there in capitals, that's what that means, the covenant promise-keeping God. He draws near to hurting Hagar. He's, she's pregnant. She's alone. She's in a vulnerable wasteland. Just imagine how dangerous that would be for her. And what happens in verse 8? He says, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? This isn't a fact-finding mission that God is on. He knows the answers, of course. But Hagar says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. So notice the angel of the Lord God himself has sought out and found Hagar. But this is a surprise, isn't it? Verse 9, go back to your mistress, the one who caused you this pain. But no, don't just go back. It could be go back and reason with her or persuade her or... Even just tell her she's wrong. It's her fault. But no, go back and submit. That, that is a surprise, isn't it? That's not what I would have said. I wouldn't even told her to go back. Go back to that life of pain, to that dysfunctional family, after how they've treated you, to go back and submit? Really? But God's ways are not our ways. He says, go back. 
So often when we fall out with others, it is our default, isn't it, to just walk away, keep away. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to that person. And I'm not saying that that is always a bad thing to do. Sometimes that is the wisest course of action. Sometimes it's dangerous to go back in some situations. I, I can think of, maybe you can think of some like that. But most times God is a reconciler. That is his business, isn't he? He's in the business of reconciling us to him through Jesus' death on the cross, but also to each other. Forgiveness of sin between him and us, but between each other. And God reconciles his people to each other. That means going back. And sometimes it means go back and submit to each other. So when there's a problem between genuine believers, here's the question for us. Will we resolve to want to go back? Now, that is hard sometimes. I'm not pretending it isn't. And perhaps that's something we need to consider. Or maybe we need help with it. Sometimes help is the best way to do that, of going back. But look what God promises to Hagar here uh, through the angel, verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, uh, the, sorry, the angel added verse 10, as in verse 11. Verse 10, the angel says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. In other words, God is saying, go back and submit. But I, this isn't you being trapped in slavery, Hagar. This is you being blessed. The hard thing is to go back, but you'll be blessed through it. In fact, verse 11, those words have only been used so far of Abraham. Remember I said that earlier. He, he has said he would have descendants so numerous to count as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, as it says elsewhere. And here in verse 11, it goes further. The angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, you are now pregnant, you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. In other words, the Lord knows exactly what is going on. The Lord has heard. That's what Ishmael means. It says there in the little, uh, little A. Back down, Ishmael means God hears. That's what it's called. It names are significant. God hears. And then verse 12, he'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. Well, that's what will happen. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. The hurt will continue. Sometimes sin has that effect. We linger with that. No, it is hard to go back. There isn't full forgiveness sometimes. Sometimes that pain and hurt remains this side of death and into the new creation, into heaven, and when it will be transformed and removed. Reconciliation sometimes can't be full yet. But through all of this hurt, Hagar learned something of God here. What did she do, verse 13? She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Actually, I think this is the only time in the whole Bible that someone gives a name to the Lord. And what does she say? You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. That is still there between Kadesh and Beret. It's all to do with the God who sees so you've got Ishmael, the God who hears, and this, uh, the God who sees, the, the well. Beer, beer sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not that kind of well. It's uh, beer lahai rai, the God who, who sees. He sees, he hears. In other words, God cares for the hurting. He cares for those who suffer because of people who take things into their own hands. The suffering brought on by God's chosen family here. Hagar knows God cares, despite what she's gone through, that God loves her. And sometimes it's through human pain that we find out that God cares, don't we? Sometimes you know that. Maybe you know that people have hurt you. That's just our experience, isn't it? People hurt us, and I dare say we've hurt other people. I know I have. Though we don't set out to do that so often. 
And we've let others down, they've let us down. But in all that hurt, we know that people are not God. They're human, like you and me. We're not perfect. We can't keep our promises. But God never lets us down. He sees. He hears. He knows what we're going through. And he cares. And we see this in the person of Jesus Christ, don't we? Notice what he is like. He was the God who saw people who no one else saw. Remember Zacchaeus up in the tree? Jesus saw him. Wanted to draw near to him, despite the way he had caused hurt and he'd been hurt himself. Or how he hurt. Do you remember that blind beggar Bartimaeus on the way into or is it out of Jericho? I forget. But he hears that blind beggar shouting, have mercy on me, when everyone else is saying, just shut up, will you? No, Jesus hears. Jesus sees, he hears still today. And often when you're in a crowd that is the world, the world is a big crowd, isn't it? It's getting more crowded. Lots of people coming and going, doing their thing. We find ourselves easily overlooked. You've had that experience, I guess. We all have. We've been overlooked. Overlooked in a room, maybe even this room in the past. Overlooked by others, unseen, unheard. And it feels rubbish, isn't it? It's almost like you're not there. Do I exist? Do I matter? Does anyone love me? No one cares. No one knows. No one understands what I'm going through. But know that Jesus sees and hears and understands and cares. He cares for those hurt by believers and non-believers. And that doesn't excuse the hurt, but it does heal the hurts. So what do we do? We do what Hagar does. We we call out, we pray to him, you are the God who sees. Maybe no one else really understands what I'm struggling with. But God, you know. You understand the hurt. The hurt that perhaps I've got myself into in part. And the hurt that others have done on me. Or maybe it's just the hurt of just being in the world that doesn't always go well. The hurt of circumstances. What do we do? We go back. We go back to God's promise. To God's family. God's people, God's church. There we find that God's blessing is that we are loved even though we've been hurt. Loved at the cross. So let us not trust in ourselves by human effort. Let us trust in the God who hears and sees. Let's pray. Father God, it's a desperately hurting world and we see some of that hurt in the personal circumstances of this family that you have chosen to bless. Father God, thank you that you do care for the hurting. And thank you that you do call us to come back to you in that hurt. Thank you that there is blessing. Blessing through Jesus Christ. Descended from this very family who came to save us who came to fulfill your promises so that we not need do anything to be sure of your love. Father, thank you that you do forgive us when we have caused hurt to others. Help us to also forgive those who've hurt us in the past. Please would you help us to rejoice in your promises. Amen.